Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The last I saw you in person, long before COVID ever existed, uh, you were performing in Houston. You did uh, you did the Great Depression before the Great Depression aired, so I felt special because I felt well. You had recorded it, but it hadn't aired yet. And, right, right. But it was the weirdest thing because I was sitting up in the balcony with my wife, and at the very end of the show, like after you gave the dramatic finish and everything, you you had a well-intentioned heckler like give you notes immediately afterwards. <laughs> And I, I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear what she was. I couldn't hear what she was saying. But all I could tell was that it seemed like she thought that you should have used an alternate ending or something. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. And um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's rare, but there, there are people who who feel like they know better than than me. I mean, just the act of heckling is so is so arrogant because you you are are essentially saying that that you can do a better job than the person who's dedicated their life at it for years and and i mean it's 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 why i well i wouldn't say i stopped but i listened to sports radio much less because i i can't stand when people think they know better than head coaches or former players or or anyone they they just don't know what goes into these things and and a lot of their suggestions are are just are are foolish or, <laughs> uh, or, or crazy yeah yeah that's a that's a world i live in um we're, we're, yeah but it it's funny though you'll you'll be back people always they grow up and they mature out of sports radio <laughs> and then something's gonna happen you're gonna be like 58 years old yeah yeah and, yeah <laughs> and you're gonna need yeah. something you need something to latch onto. it'll be like belichick's fourth replacement by then he'll be coaching the patriots and right <laughs> So you, I, I actually wanted to ask you that question um, and, and go into as much length as you want or not, but I, I heard you being interviewed on NPR about your college football career. And there was an article yeah. about it as well. And even a couple articles have been written about it. Um, but I, I'm just, I've been fascinated by the story of the two coaches that took you in when you were in high school. Yeah everyone brings that up and I'm actually developing that story into a series with, with Adam McKay, who, I mean, he did Anchorman and the big short and, and Eastbound and down. He's, he's just a great guy. So he heard that and, and he, he reached out and we connected and, and so we're, we're working on a, a series about that, but there, there are two 
twin brothers that we mentioned in the interview on, on it's on this American life with Ira glass. And they were twins. They were, I was 17 or 18. They were 28 years old. They, they lived together. They shared this, this two bedroom apartment in Salem mass. And they shared a, a Nissan 300 ZX and <laughs> they, they were assistant coaches. But as, as you know, assistant coaches on a high school football team aren't, aren't usually even paid. Right, so I, right. I have, yeah, I have no idea how they were making money to, to take me out to breakfast every day. And they, they brought me to this gym and they trained me and they taught me routes, but they were also really eccentric. They were, they were guys who, who at a time when, when only nerdy kids were reading comic books were super into comic books and they had played at Boston college and they were in, in terrific shape. They worked out all the time. They hated wearing T-shirts. So they were all, always without their shirts on, showing off their, their muscles and everything. But they, they, they were the first people that I ever met in person who talked about themselves in the, in the third person. Yeah. So that they, they, they had dubbed themselves the Jetsons because they felt that they were out of this world. And they, the, but neither one was, was, uh, was identified as anything but a Jetson. So, so that they, 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 yeah, they were identical and okay. they both answered to Jetson and <laughs> they, they would, would call me and they say, they called me Goldman and they, they would say, Goldman, it is Jetson. You will meet the Jetsons at the the universe gym in salem at 7 30 a.m and then we will take you for breakfast and discuss your future and it was it was one of those things where they, their energy their positivity and and their humor was so intoxicating they were they were just really optimistic and 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 made these huge promises they were like you'll get a football scholarship there'll be newspaper articles written about you. And, you and you had never played football before no only like to play catch or 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 touch football i'd never i'd never run a a, a route that was de determined or anything like that i would just try to get open i didn't know any of the plays and they, they, they had just I seen mean, you as a, a basketball player this kid that had potential in this frame you're what six foot five six foot six yeah that they yeah, could was, just they could treat yeah. like clay yeah, I was six foot five and two hundred twenty pounds, and they 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 were substitute teaching. I think that's how they made a lot of their money. They were substitute teaching one day in gym class, and they saw me playing basketball. And then one of them, the the, the like there there was one who was a little bit more reasonable and serious than the other, but but not by much. And and he said, if you beat me in a game of one on one. I won't bother you again about playing football. And, and I was, a, I was obsessed with basketball and he was just an athlete and I, and I beat him and he, and he broke his promise. And he, he called me on the first, <laughs> he called me on the first day of, of, um, of summer vacation and, and told me that he was going to train me. And, and in six weeks I put on like 15 or 20 pounds and, and changed really my, my life and, and, and my body and, and my trajectory. Cause I, I don't, I don't know what I was going to do after, after senior year, if it wasn't for them. That's where, uh, and, and I thought about this as I was, uh, I was listening to you and Whitney Cummings on 
It was January 29th, 2020. Uh, I was yes. just listen- I was listening to this. You guys didn't mention COVID once. Very insensitive. No, uh- <laughs> no, I know. It was crazy. We had no idea. Yeah, yeah. No it idea. was strange as I'm listening. I'm like, wait, they're all they're actually in person. That's when I checked the date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so you guys were talking about, I think she mentioned something about the secret, you know, and, and then you brought up vision boards and and how you're into yeah. vision boards and envisioning all this stuff. And and that's when it made I made that connection with hearing that on This American Life. You were introduced, like your your senior year in high school to kind of this this concept of putting something out there that seems ridiculous and unachievable. Yes. And Gary, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like you're going into your senior year, you never played football before. The scholarships yeah. have already been doled out. And yet yes. you ended up, you ended up with a scholarship to Boston College. Yeah, I mean and and the part of it is one of those things where unless somebody tells you something is impossible you you won't internalize that and and that's what happened there. They they uh, the the interesting thing was was sort of the the tension between these guys who who would say f yeah to everything and my family which was a family of of pessimistic jewish people just and and we have every right to be pessimistic things <laughs> things generally don't work out for for my people but my 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 parents when i when i would um express excitement for something they said they would say we'll see or don't get your hopes up they got to protect and, you Gary. Yeah. And I also had to protect my dreams and aspirations from them. So I I didn't really tell them I was even training with these guys or what they were promising me because I knew I I had sort of figured out the the system, for instance, with this with this Adam McKay series that we're we're working on. I have not told my my family about it because they will, for instance, my mother will say, well, who's that? And and it'll just crush me because <laughs> she said it's the same thing she said when I told her I was working with with Judd Apatow on my on my special. She said I don't know who that is, and it <laughs> it just it just made me feel really uh, it humbled me. I would say, and and also it just she's very good at deflating me by asking what does that mean or who is that, and it, and it's just unless I mention somebody of the of the magnitude of a of a David Letterman or a, or a Jay Leno. She really doesn't, doesn't have much connection with my world. What well, was she, was she more excited about you being on NPR than uh, <laughs> some of the actual comedy things you've done? Um, she, she didn't know about this American life or, or Ira Glass. I had to play it on my, on my phone. It just, it's, it just, it, it is not in me to explain to people the significance of things that i that i do it just it just because as i'm saying it i'm realizing that that um just the fact that she's not aware of this of this thing it it means that it hasn't really uh penetrated her world i felt like uh when when i got excited because i think i was just downloading this american life at random and and your episode popped up and I got excited for you because I know that I know that you have a side of you that feels like uh, you want to be a college professor or uh, <laughs> you kind of have this this professorial vibe and you help out the young comedians and all that. I feel like being on NPR yeah. in some ways was probably almost like being on HBO as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I we were talking about dream vision boards or whatever earlier. And I had I had cut out a, a picture of 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 an ad for this American life from a magazine. And I had, I had put it on this vision board in 2010. And I, I, the whole thing is that these things usually come to pass 
but they're sort of like that that twilight zone make a wish type thing like yeah. I, I was in i was in people magazine's sexiest man alive but it was to cover my my <laughs> d- debilitating depression and and uh anxiety disorder so it wasn't i wasn't actually featured as the sexiest man alive it was just an article in that in that issue that's way closer than most people ever get and it's it's true but but it's it's still this weird this weird sort of thing where i where i think maybe i should have been more more specific about my wish and and, uh... (laughs) yeah but then if you're too specific then all of a sudden you start looking at progress like it's a setback too right oh i know i know that's so true it's so true i i i just i think that the the idea is is that you are are reasonable in your in your expectations but unreasonable in your your work ethic so that you you put in more more effort and preparation than than you think is is really healthy it's so hard to find and especially for you and and for my listeners that haven't seen gary's special the great depression um gary gary is a comedian who is just incredibly talented and just works his butt off it making some of the most mundane boring things in life really really funny like things like grapefruit and stuff like that for years and years and years you did that and then all of a sudden uh in the great depression i don't i won't give away too much for people who haven't seen it already you really dive deep in uh this lifelong depression that has has plagued you and and it's been a good couple years though since that special came out right yeah it came out well, a year and and two months ago, and yeah, in October, the beginning of October of 2019, and it, it was just this situation where I, I was, I was really sick, too sick to perform, and then when I came back, it was so obvious that something was off that I had to address it, and the 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 most comfortable way I can address anything is is by making people laugh about it or joking about it. And, and so then my, my manager, who is the thinker in terms of commerce and, and, and viability in the, in the business world said, you should, you should do this as a, a show. Like we could, we could make it part documentary and part comedy. And at the time I only had maybe 15 minutes of jokes about my depression and the treatment and being in the hospital and so we were going to really mostly put documentary interviews and things with my with my psychiatrist and some of my friends and and my wife and then as i i got better and felt better and had more energy i i was able to really tap into my experience and and with the the director that i worked with he really brought out of me a lot of great stories and things that we were able to to play for comedy and then it became something where the 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 final product the documentary footage is about 15 minutes and the the stand up is in an, an hour and and i mean i don't want people to think that it's all jokes about being depressed it's it's more more jokes about what you do when you're depressed and also the the often hilarious ordeals of of dealing with your your treatment like being in the hospital like that as soon as i was in the hospital i mean i'm not exaggerating within a half hour man recognized me from tv and he was like am i crazy or are you gary gullman and i just remember thinking i may never do stand-up again but if i do i have to tell this story because it's it's um it's completely bizarre 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective before where you were so low at that point that that you would question whether you'd ever do comedy again, which which again, and you know, and honestly, your special and then just some various things that I've read in the past year since I saw your special, I feel like I have a, a little bit better of an understanding of just how how bad it is, um, you know, and uh, that but that you I mean, at that point, you have the depression to begin with, which is is biological and it's in you. But you're also there had to have been a certain amount of stress about your future, right? That that is compounding that like when you're sitting in an institution and you can't write jokes. Right. That's that's really interesting. And it's a it's a great point. But I will say that it's I will say that it's mostly the biological and 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 my evidence for that is that there were times when I was in more dire financial straits. There was a time I was I was underwater on my house and the, the Great Recession hit. I, I wasn't well known enough to get many, many gigs. I, the shows that I did were not full of people who were there specifically to see me. I was just a, a stand up who had a, a, a moderate amount of success playing the road. And and yet and I was broke. I mean, I was really broke. I remember selling baseball cards to pay my mortgage and things like that. And yet I was happier than I was a few years later when I was in the midst of this, this depression. And I was in a much better position financially. And I had an audience and I was, I was able to make a good living on the, on the road. And, and I I had a nice apartment, but I think when you, when you're feeling so lousy about yourself and, and lose your, your confidence you think, well, I'm I'm not going to be able to sustain this, and and whereas I had hoped that I would I would re- get to a point where I was able to to sell more tickets, the 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 time when I was was broke, I I was convinced that I was going to stop being able to write jokes and and stop being able to sell tickets, and I would lose everything, and and it just spirals, and you do that you do that catastrophic thinking that that most people have sort of a a, a a release valve in their in their brain but with a depression it just it just keeps it keeps snowballing in it and it's really problematic when when it gets to a, a level where where you can't really think for yourself and 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 you can't you can't see any way out of it and and that's when it gets scary when i when i would think that i, I remember a friend of mine telling me that i was i was really my life was in danger and i had never heard it put so so stark but it was looking back it was definitely the case well and and i heard you say in another one of your interviews that one thing that people with depression or or a lot of issues in life really you don't really genuinely understand how off it is or that these aren't the issues that other people are dealing with necessarily i mean there are other people with it but it's not a um it's not a normal thing to feel that way yeah, that's a that's a great point because I I think a lot of people don't understand that you can have everything and and things that and and it still happens to me nowadays. Like I was listening to this this biography of I, I really love this young rapper named Kendrick Lamar and I was li- listening to this biography of him and he was talking about being depressed and even though I've been through all this, I thought how would a a, a a mid twenties kid who was just killing it on, on 
the Grammys and the MTV and was a millionaire, how, how would he be depressed? And then I was like, what are you doing? You're, you're falling into that same trap. It really has nothing to do with, with success. And I think it was really Bruce Springsteen's autobiography where, where he talked about not being able to get out of bed. And I thought the thing that we always think as, as athletes and, and people who, who they're, they're, they're whether it's in athletics or, or other endeavors, we have a mindset where we put in work and we succeed and we feel good about our, our accomplishments. And when you're depressed, you think that you just need to keep applying that formula, but you, you realize at some point that no matter the success, you keep filling this, this bucket that has a hole, so it doesn't it doesn't accumulate, and you don't feel any better. And and when you see somebody like Bruce Springsteen, he would say, "Well, nobody works harder," and and I don't think there's anybody who's been as as successful in 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 his generation, and and yet he doesn't feel great about himself. And people, I'm sure, would say, "But you're Bruce Springsteen," and he still doesn't feel like getting out of bed. I, I mean, I, I think that really hit me, and I said, "No, there's no amount of work." or accomplishment I'll be able to do where I will feel good about myself. I need to feel good about myself first. And, and, and that's, that's, and also accept who I, who I am sort of accept my limitation. And it's interesting that, that I did that this American life in the same year that started my, my strongest recovery, sturdiest recovery. I mean, I'm going on three years of feeling myself and that was a that was a big step in telling a large audience because I've told every comedian I've worked with who's asked me about my my football career that it was a, an utter failure. But I had never told everyone who listens to NPR what a failure I was, and and the people didn't come and and um, insult me or 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 drag me. They actually said it was a really interesting thing and something that I shouldn't be ashamed of. So I, I think that that coupled with with the right treatment, but also accepting myself, I think that was that was huge. There's a woman uh, who's a professor at University of Houston, and I know I know you've got a huge fan base in the University of Houston Law School, right? Um, <laughs> That's right. They were they were all That's there. Right. They, they filled up like a whole section at the yes. uh, the White Oak that night. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a professor there named Brene Brown who's got a bunch of best selling books, but she's her whole thing is vulnerability, and it's really interesting. Yeah. I would advise, I would advise uh, at the very least looking at the TED talk of Brene Brown, the most famous one. Yeah. She talks about vulnerability. You, by the way, I'm, I'm kind of pissed at you because you recommended, I asked you which, what was the favorite book that you had read recently. And uh, you said the Nickel Boys. So I, I read the Nickel Boys last week. And uh, Gary, I was, I was cruising along and I'm kind of doing all right. Yes, I have this very good prose. It's a very good, uh, it's a very good, very good story. And I was kind of thinking of some things I might want to ask Gary about. Um, and then <laughs> I got to the, I don't want to give anything away on this book and I won't go into too much detail. I got to the last chapter. I broke down like bawling three separate Me times. And you, yeah. Did it catch you off Me guard? Too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing is you, you fall in love with the protagonist and the, and the boys at this, at this reforms reform school dormitory. And then at the end you, you, um, yeah, it, it, I don't want to give anything away. 
I will just say it's it's as good a novel as I, as I've ever read, and I, I I I am an avid reader, so it's 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 really something else. It do, and I actually I genuinely honestly want to thank you for recommending it. It was oh, the, good. It was it was the first thing I thought though. When all of a sudden, you know, sometimes when something catches you and you don't expect it to. And yes. I, and it wasn't even the initial part that changes in the plot there's not it wasn't right, the plot right, twist right, that right. did it it was when right. all of a sudden it was some there was some way he phrased it because colson yeah. colson whitehead is just a brilliant writer and yes. it just it like it kicked me in the gut like i had a physiological jerking response and i and i said fucking gary <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm 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 actually pleased by that because i can't tell you how many people I've either given that book to or recommended it to, and they they uh, they didn't read it. Um, oh, really? Oh, okay. I didn't finish it, but I have one one close friend, my my friend Sammy Koppelman, who um, is a is a writer and and a, a brilliant young man, and and he he read it, and 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 we just uh, we really bonded over that. So I. I I'm so glad that you read it. That means a lot to me that you took my advice. Oh, no, I really, Gary, and I, I think I told this story when you were in studio with us last year. Um, but when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life after football, I was working for a friend of mine in Western Pennsylvania doing oil and gas stuff. And I was driving all over rural, rural Pennsylvania, uh, working on like contracts and deeds and oil rights. And, and it was interesting stuff, but I, I was listening to Sirius on the comedy channel there and you, you kept coming up. So I, I searched you out on iTunes and I, I think back then I still had like, I bought your albums. I bought two wow. albums on iTunes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember just, there was something about your way with words and how well crafted and just how how good you were at your craft that just, it, it made me realize, I don't know what I'm doing with my life or what I want to do, but I need to do something different and it's got to be something with words. And it, wow. it really, it was one of the things that kind of spurred me on to, to doing whatever the hell it is I'm doing now. And I'm really glad for it because um, it, 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 this was the exact opposite of vision boarding. I was kind of just a, I was just a piece of flotsam on a wave. <laughs> um, and, and you were part of the wave that pushed me to where I am. Oh, that, that makes me so happy because you're, you're clearly suited for this and you you, you clearly have what it takes, but, but mostly it's, it's just that, that, that feeling that it's, it's fine to be, to be working with deeds and, and contracts, but if there's, there's something that you would rather be doing and there's something that you would you would actually be bummed out if if it got canceled or you or you weren't able to do it. I mean that's that's the whole thing that I've I've noticed about my comedy career from the very beginning it was something I always looked forward to to doing and then that sort of that athlete's competitive kick competition type thing kicks in where you want to do right by this thing that you really appreciate. And, and with us, it's, it's our, our, our use of words and our, and our, the sentences we make. Do you still consider yourself an athlete? Well, I, I, I don't consider myself an athlete as, as much because I, I still can't get past the, the fact that I, I, didn't I, I didn't leave sports on my own terms I, I sort of got got overmatched so I always think of myself as kind of I, I gave it a shot but I I do 
do use on a daily basis the, the same types of attitudes and approaches that I used in, in sports. And, and the, the, the earlier you figure out that those types of, of behaviors translate to every single area of your, your life is, is really helpful. I, I know that I'm, I'm writing a book right now. And a few years ago, I think I would have given up after the, the first, after the first um, set of notes came back from the, from the editor, <laughs> yeah. because, because it's very discouraging. And I, I just was able to look back on comedy and then before that on sports and say, well, this is how you felt when you first started playing basketball. You, you felt overwhelmed and you didn't really know even the fundamentals and you, but you loved it and you, you kept going and you improved. I mean, that's the, that's the one great lesson that you get from playing sports is, is that there's a, there's a, a direct correlation between effort and, and improvement. You, you, you may not master it, but you'll get better. And I, I, I was telling my wife this the other day out of nowhere, I said, the best thing about me is, is that I will be a better version of what you have now in, in 20 years. So I will, I will be a better, I will be a better husband and a better performer and, a, and a, a better human being than I am. It's uh, you know, it's amazing. It's like geological time when you think about your own lifespan and you, it's like geological time where you can't necessarily grasp or envision how long an actual lifetime is. And, and you right. want to try to do everything. I like, I want to fix this by next week in my personality. Um, and that it's, yeah, it really is amazing what, what can happen over the course of 20 years. And Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll have a book recommendation for you then. Speaking of that. Um, okay. hold on. I've got it right here. I just want to be sure I get the author's name, right? Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, I just finished that. Did you? <laughs> yes. Isn't it great? It's awesome. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. And it, and it makes improvements in the first couple of pages. Yes. You, yeah, you dude, it yes. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a, I, Gary, I'm very skeptical of most self-help books. More, more, Me too. more importantly, I'm, I'm skeptical of self-help book authors. Um, this one, it's almost... It, the the thing that really frees you is that he's almost like an anti-motivation author. He's yeah. like, he's like, no, no, no. Motivation will fail you. You need to engineer your life in such a way that you just do these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, <clears throat> the idea of, of uh, approaching it from so many different angles and, and making choices that are, that you can, that you can sort of live with and, 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 and improve on. I mean, it, it's yeah. Atomic Habits is a is a must read within that within that area. The the other one I I would say for artists that I found in in the was in the same vein was this thing called the um, uh, the uh, War of Art. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about 120 pages, and it's really helpful if you have a if you have a an, a creative project that you're working on it 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 just um it's tough it, love yeah it really they, is but it's he, yeah he kind of gives you like a kick in the butt right yeah but it's also one of these books where you halfway through you're like i gotta stop reading and get back to work <laughs> yeah. so it's it's it does its job so so quickly yeah that's yeah that's um 
That's really good. I think I listened to part of that on an audio book. I'll have to pick that back up. The Atomic Habits book. I started, I start, I read that in September. And since then, because I like I've got my own set of issues. It's not depression, but it's other things. And um, I've like you, I've realized how much exercise helps and how much of a difference yeah. it makes in, in stabilizing everything. And I've yes. had I've missed two days of exercise since September 1st. Um, wow. And, and one of them is because I had to go to the hospital, but I'm, I'm still kind of upset with myself. But the whole don't, you know, you put together streaks. If you if you yes. miss your habit one day, the very next day, don't beat yourself up over it. Just do it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Just the one if you do something for one minute, you can check it off your box because the most important yes. thing is to yes. just get in the habit of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I found I found the the idea of just setting a timer and saying, I'll just do it for this amount of money is, is it gets you over that, that inertia hurdle, which is, which is the hardest part. Just, just opening up your laptop and starting your document or starting to return emails. It's that's the, the first one is the hardest. And, and these, these little tricks help you get through that. The one other question I wanted to ask you was since the special, I know for comedians, it's hard sometimes to, to hit the reset button and kind of start new and start working on your new stuff. This, this seems like it would be tenfold that type of problem because you completely changed your whole, like almost your whole genre where you went much more into your personal history. Um, has, it been, has it been hard to maybe either, I don't know how to phrase it, remember who you are or define who you are, or has it been kind of liberating? Um, it's, it's only been positive in, in, in a number of ways. And one was that I, before that special, I kind of recognized that I was, was going to need a, an adjustment in, in the content of my, of my specials or, or yeah, or my shows, my live shows, which eventually become my, my specials. So I, 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 I wanted it to be to be able to speak about things that were a, a little bit more substantial than than say sweet potato fries or 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 state abbreviations <laughs> and uh, and I I knew that I was going to be able to do it but this was a way to do it in such a, a quick way where where I I think I'll be able to keep my 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 fans who were who were with me before the special I'll be able to keep them, and then the, the new ones that I met, who will be expecting more of a, a personal or, or vulnerable show, they they will be in in tune with what, what I want to do next, which which is is not going to be as as I guess I, I never thought it was dark because I always felt like I was I was expressing a lot of hope, but but I guess more it, I'm not going to talk about such serious topics like the thing I want to talk about next really is is kind of my my experience with with um financial insecurity from my childhood and then and then growing up and and what it means to to be poor and and but the the great thing about talking about being poor is that it is um it's that one area that almost everybody who goes to a comedy show can can relate to whether whether they were they were broken in college or after college or, or actually broke when they were, when they were children. I mean, it, it's something that people can relate to. And I, and I also think it, it's, 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 it's something that, that I, I think people are, are, 
I think people are recognizing the the people who are doing really important things and are not being paid as as well as us, for instance. Like it's 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 just I I I wish there was a system to tip the people who are working at the grocery store because they they kept us um, they kept us alive for so long, or or even even the the people who are doing the 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 nearly impossible work in, in hospitals, if there were some way to, to, to contribute, I mean, there are ways to contribute, but I always, I always feel like it, it's, um, they don't, they don't actually see your appreciation when you, when you donate on online or something like that. But I, 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 so, so I, back to the question, I, I, I don't feel any kind of pressure to, to match that last effort but the effort itself, I think, opened up some some avenues to me that I that I might not have might not have had, and I I I think that was a, a really fortunate situation. I mean, the other lucky thing was that I was able to write that show way before I I needed to record it and film it. So after I filmed it, I had all these jokes to work out that had nothing to do with the great depression. And I was able to do those on the, on the road before the great depression um, aired. So I, I had oh. all that time to sort of build up a new set so that after the great depression aired, I, I was able to go on the road and, and put out a, a new, bring them a new hour and a half that they hadn't just seen on television for free, which is, that used to be my, my biggest, fear that I was not going to be able to bring the audience a new set. And, and because of my, I mean, there's no other explanation for it, but my, my health being so much better. And, and also the confidence I got from being able to, to finally take the, take the football over the goal line, as far as making, making my, my best special. I, I think, I think that contributed to my, my being able to, to write at a, at a pace that I've, I've never come close to this before. Oh, really? It yeah. just, it, 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 you kind of feel like all, everything had been, all the obstacles and barriers had been cleared. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's hard to, to go over your notes and prepare and write new things when you are, are trying to stay in bed until a half hour before the show and, and, <laughs> and s- sprint over to the, to the club and, and, you're wrinkled, you haven't shaved and and maybe you've showered. So it's, oh, man. it's, it's a big difference. Yeah, that's a big difference in your day-to-day life. That, yeah. um, boy, I, I'm glad you mentioned that about the essential workers too, uh, because I, I, I share your same feelings for it. And I also, I've got the extra guilt of, um, having been labeled an essential worker as a sports talk radio host. Oh, right, right, right. Which is, I got this, I got this placard or this, this certificate in the early days when we were on a complete lockdown and I'm like looking around, like, I don't, my news is not all that important (laughs) (laughs) and I don't have to risk anything to deliver it. Uh, So I, I I tried to, I tried to use it very carefully. I suppose, I suppose that, you are also as much as there's a as much as there are new challenges in being a comedian these days uh and kind of some of the backlash you can get it's probably somewhat liberating too because it's easier than ever to find your specific audience that it doesn't have to it doesn't always have to be a mass appeal yeah I, i mean that's 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 something that i'm i'm so grateful for because 
I, I think back on my early days of standup, there's no way I could have been able to even know if the, the subjects and the, the stories I was telling in that special were, were funny or would work because your average comedy audience is just there to see a comedy show. And if you deviate sort of from the, the, what they're expecting, they're not always that, that um, it doesn't appeal to them. And so you don't get a good gauge on what works, but my audience that I had, that I had gathered over the years. And in some places it's a, it's a couple of hundred people. And, and in some cities it's a few thousand, but they, they come and they, they sort of have a, a similar idea of what's funny that I do. And, and they, they know what they're getting with me. So they give me some, some leeway and they're they're I mean, it's like just in the, in the example of the NPR, the NPR audience is, is easier to get away with talking about things that are more serious than say a, a group of, of college kids or people going out for a bachelorette party on a Friday night in Tampa. Gary, um, I really appreciate you coming on with me. What are we looking at? What, are, what should people be looking for here in the near future? Well, I, I think that I'm, I'm about a year and a half away from, from putting this book out. It's called K through 12. And it's a memoir of, of my experience as a, as a uh, public school kid. So it's all these, these funny stories and, 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 a, a, a lot of things that you you look back on and you you say that nobody will believe this happened but they're <laughs> they're true stories and and then hopefully my my tour that that was interrupted in march will will come back when 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 that's safe and and there are there are tentative dates on on garygullman.com but as we we all know they're they're uh they're all written in pencil at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, and the New York City Comedy Club scene is a, is it sounds like things are getting pretty dire. Yeah, it's really it's really distressing. Yeah, I worry about it. And I guess what's the? I mean, there's just no way. There's no way for people who haven't made it right now, or who are maybe struggling comedians, I suppose, really to really make money doing comedy, are there? Yeah, it's hard. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but I, I, I reached out to, to a number of different comedians to, to see how they're holding up and they, they, they haven't, they haven't accepted my offers of money yet. So I think they're figuring out something either through Patreon or, or through, um, through their, their podcasts or whatever. So I I think they're doing okay, but it's a, it's a, it would be a tough time if say you started doing comedy a year ago and now you're, now you're been put on the bench all this time with no audience whatsoever. All right. I, can't, I don't yeah, want to leave on, yeah. I don't want to leave on that downer. I had this, <laughs> this, this question occurred to me. <laughs> I, I assume that when you get recognized in the street, like people just throw out random bits or like, yeah. what's the most common one? Um, I, I don't know what the most common one is, but the best one I ever got was um, I I live in Harlem and uh, at about 135th street, which is really far uptown. A guy saw me and he yelled out, ne'er do well, ne'er do well. <laughs> which is from my, my um, abbreviations joke. And I, I, I mean, I wanted to hug him. That was, the, that was, 
I, I'm still at a point, and I don't know where you are at this, but I'm still at a point where being recognized makes my day. And, and I'm, I'm really happy about that because it doesn't happen that much. Oh, oh, it's the best. You know, I, I'm in the best possible world because I'm not like, a, I'm, a, I'm a B-level local celebrity, which means okay. that for the most part, only people who genuinely listen to me or remember me from playing over a decade ago are the people uh -huh. who recognize me. It's not like my face is up on billboards or on the, you know, on television regularly. So anybody that sees me is probably kind of like you. It's somebody that's actually seen yeah. your work or done yeah. anything. And it's so it's really uh, it's nice. It feels like, oh, OK, I'm actually I uh, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and use that as uh, actual validation from somebody that's a stranger. But I'll pretend it's my, yeah. my dad or something. Right. It's cool. <laughs> so um really appreciate it man good luck oh. good luck with a book i'm really impressed especially because oh. it's, it's a year and a half out which is yeah. that is a sustained effort good for you keep that up yeah i just i it always reminds me of school when i would have a paper due and i would be uh so so stressed out so i'm i'm giving myself plenty of time i'm no i'm really excited for you because you are so good with words and yet, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do your jokes more poorly, obviously, than you do them. But your, uh, your whole thing about the suicide note. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was concerned about that joke because I didn't want to uh, upset people because it's a serious topic. But I, I didn't want to um, commit suicide without leaving a note. And I, I hated writing essays, so that saved my life. My 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 desire to avoid papers saved my life no and it's i honestly I, somebody's always going to think something goes too far but like i like yeah. like many people i've got close people who have committed suicide um that that i think that's a feeling that's a universal feeling that people have had wh about whether it's a suicide note or some other really really important thing that right, they haven't right. done just because they labored too much over it instead of just yeah. doing it yeah um, yeah it's interesting because I, I i actually we reached out to the the national federation for suicide foundation for suicide prevention and um and showed them the special and we asked them about that specifically and they they said it was fine, so I, I, I kept it in. But I'm, I'm glad I did because it's uh, a lot of people say that's very memorable. Well, Gary, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, good luck with all the projects, and everybody follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Gary Goldman on both of those, right? At Gary Goldman, yes. Gary, yes. Good, job, good job locking that down early. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. Cool. Seth, um, it was great talking to you, brother. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.